Welcome to Season 2 of the Gamers Change Lives Podcast. In Season 1, we learned about entrepreneurs and others around the world who were creating jobs and opportunities through esports. The one common theme throughout the season was that it takes money to create jobs and change lives. But let's face it, money can be hard to find, especially in some parts of the world, maybe in your part of the world. But this season, we are going to share stories from esports entrepreneurs in emerging markets and showcase how they found funding they need to be successful. We're also going to talk to investors in Africa, Asia, India, who have invested in esports and highlight the challenges that those markets face. In addition, we're going to talk about sponsors who provide funding to teams, tournament organizers, and streamers. Join us on this journey for Season 2 of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, aptly titled, Follow the Money. And now your host, Tom Leonard. I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast. When it comes to esports, I'm definitely not the expert. I'm more of an explorer. The goal behind the podcast is to hear from esports entrepreneurs and others around the world to hear how esports can create jobs and to maybe encourage other people to do just that. Our tagline is play games, create jobs, change lives. In season two, which we're just starting out, our theme is follow the money. And today I'm really honored to have Sadiq Bakayoko from the Ivory Coast. I, I call it Ivory Coast because I can pronounce that part. <laughs> He's the founder and CEO at Paradise Game. Welcome, City. Thank you. How are you? Good, good. So so where are you speaking from today? Uh, right now, I'm currently in my office based in Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast. And, <laughs> is that where you spend most of your time? Yes, indeed. We're based here. I was born and raised here, and, and, and I live here with my family. Got it. Got it. So um, can you talk a little bit about what got you into games and esports? I mean, it's it's one of those things that, you know, people go back to, you know, oh, my, my dad had a PS1 sort of thing. And it's always an interesting story how people got into games and then also into esports. So how, how did it happen for you? Pretty much the same. My brother had a, a Commodore 64 uh, back when I was, I think, five or six. So I, I grew up, you know, watching him play, uh, you know, some of the Zach McCracken and, and, and Lotus Turbo Challenge and some of these games. So he, he stayed in my mind. And then, um, you know, fast forward about 15 years later in college, uh, I was far away from home. Uh, I was studying in the United States, actually. And, you know, one of the ways for me to kind of like, you know, uh, and see myself was gaming and it was a way for me to connect with people and, and meet new people online. And and then when I started working, I worked in the telecom industry for a bit and then decided at some point to do something where I felt like I wasn't going to work. I needed to do something that was fun. And I was like, ah, oh, you know what? Why don't we try something around gaming? And here we are. <laughs> Can you describe a little bit? That's that's always something we hear a lot about. Is um, can you describe what made you shift over from being in telecom to say, "Hey, I I think I can make this esports thing uh, uh, work for me here." Can you describe kind of <laughs> what what that transition was like? Uh, the, the, the click uh, for, for me, I think you know uh, the the good 
the good thing for me was like I worked in two different startups before actually starting my own. So I was already in the startup mode where you have like five, 10 people. And then uh, a couple of years later, you end up 120 people. So I, I was always used to that kind of environment and that kind of vibe and energy. Uh, but, you know, uh, always being number two or number three is different than being number one. So at some point I was like, okay, you know what? Is it possible for me to do it? Am I going to do it well? Uh, let me try, let me start. And then that's, you know, one thing after the other started looking at, you know, what were some of the things that could be fun and that could be, that could have potential, especially on the continent. And esports at the time was, you know, I wouldn't say non-existent, but it was mostly in small communities. And I was like, okay, you know what, maybe we can transform this and, and do something nice with it. When you're talking about we there, mm-hmm. it, 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 one of the things that we keep hearing over and over is that n- no one does things by themselves. They, they always are. It, it's, it's, it's an esports theme. It's like you get a team <laughs> together and you go do something. Can you describe a little bit about how did you form a team to start doing esports business type of events? Uh, it started out with a lot of you know young guys who were playing games. Like we started out with you know play, participating in tournaments, and then in those tournaments we saw people, we met them, we interacted, and we're like, okay, you know what? We're working on a project. Uh, we think you can help us. Come join us. Uh, you play well at FIFA. You play well at Tekken. You play well at Street Fighter. And then that's when we started having one person, and then another, and then another, and then you know we developed those them their skills. We taught them how to you know do project management, how to organize an event, how to, to run a project. So it was really like a, you know, step-by-step thing uh, all the way up to, you know, having a team of like more than 50. And there's no game plan, is there? It's not like there's, there's not a roadmap out there. It's like, you know, this, this is the way that it's always been done. It's always been done. So, which is great. Can you talk a little bit about uh, Paradise Game? What, what it is that you're doing there? What it is that the company is doing? Perfect. I mean, Paradise Game started out with this crazy idea that we wanted to transform the whole gaming industry and the whole entertainment industry on the continent. And and, and we figured uh, in order for us to start, we need a major event. We need to create that platform where everybody can come and join, participate in esports tournaments. The best players will come. So we started out with events. Uh, you know, the, our, our flagship event is called FEJA, um, which is you know, an event that attracts people from coming from you know more than 10 countries. And then once we started doing the events it was great but it lasted two days we took a whole year to plan it and then after two days it's done so we're like okay we need to be doing more things where you know we can we can stay in touch with the community so we started out working on this idea of creating a game center and then after the game center we're like okay you know what we need to start um, attracting more people around video games and esports why don't we launch a tv st- uh, a tv show and then after the tv show we're like okay let's do more let's start working on a mobile app let's do this and then that's how you know we ended up up doing uh, several different projects around esports, and you know, we, we're really happy when you look down. You know, six years ago, it wasn't that you know it wasn't the same, but now we, we're really happy about you know the, the the few projects we worked on. We still have a lot of you know a long way to go, but uh, we we we're very happy. Which which what was the hardest thing to do of all the things that you did? I really like the progression <laughs> that you're talking about. It's like, you know, all the different, all the different avenues, but they're still tied together with gaming and esports. What was the toughest one? I think the first one, the event to start, especially, uh, you know, when we started, we said we want to build it as the biggest esports event in Africa. And we had no track record. 
We had no known experience in the field. Uh, nobody had done it to that level. I mean, South Africa has done some amazing things, but like in, in the rest of, of, of South, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa, there was no events of that size. Nobody had heard of a cash prize of, of you know, more than $10,000. It was mostly like $50, $100. So it was like a bit crazy when people were listening to us. Um, so I think that was probably the hardest, you know, making sure people understood and believed in our project was the hardest. But I think once we did it, in our own mind, it was like, you know what? It's possible. If we're able to do it the first time, that means we can do it another time. That means we can do more things. Even if people tell us, ah, you know, I, I still remember a, a meeting that I had. I, I can't remember at which big event it was, but I remember meeting one of the big uh, game editor and, and, and we're talking and I was very passionate about what I was talking about. And I was like, yeah, Africa is the next big thing. And he looked at me and smiled. He said, you know what? You, you look like a nice guy. Uh, you know, you, you're very passionate. But to be honest, Africa is not even on our roadmap for the next five years. <laughs> so, you know, uh, thanks for coming. But, you know, sorry. I think it was at Gamescom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it was, you know, that 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 struck me a bit. It was like, ah, but you know what? You know, we kept going, we kept pushing, and you know, we're happy to see now that things are changing. So that was at Gamescom a few years ago. Yes, I think twenty seventeen so, or twenty eighteen. Yeah. No, that's interesting because it's it's like you you kind of took that as a challenge, probably. Indeed. Like, yeah, yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. We can put. Uh, we can put Africa. On the yes, map. On the map. How, how many um how many attendees do you have at Fasia? Uh uh Fasia, before COVID, there was a year where we 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 passed the twenty thousand mark. Um, you know, coming from ten plus countries, but unfortunately with COVID, we got hit pretty bad. So now we're trying to rebuild. Uh people are now getting more and more used to it. But like before there used to be like, you know, between fifty I mean, I think in one year we brought like fifty players. You know, that's not even considering the people who came on their own and stuff like that. So, you know, we, 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 we still have, you know, that shows that there is potential and there's a lot of people who are interested in esports events. And, you know, uh, we need to find ways to bridge the gap between the players and the events and making sure that as many people as possible can attend those events. What kind of genres were people, um, did people... Uh, be able to participate in at at Fasia because here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. we have we have comic cons which are mm -hmm. you know uh, are entertainment based and comics mm -hmm. based but really aren't gaming it's it's like you mm -hmm. don't find you go down to San Diego Comic Con which is just a great mm -hmm. event but you don't mm -hmm. find there there's a little bit of esports there there's a little bit of mm -hmm. games but nothing nothing really significant and that doesn't seem to change it sounds like mm -hmm. at Fasia maybe you had more different um, different genres there for people to participate mm -hmm. in am I right? In, in, indeed, indeed, we did we did focus more on the on on the uh, I would say the, the 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 hardcore gaming side where you know when you look at Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, they're mostly focused on console play, which means you know you have uh, sports games like soccer. Soccer is big here. You have um, fighting games, Tekken, Street Fighter, and some of those. Uh, I would say we initially started with those, and then as we grew, we eventually opened up to more mobile games and and, and more games like that with Fortnite and, and some of these games. Uh, beyond gaming, we did add a couple of things, including you know uh, like free play, discovering what was there, a little bit of cosplay. But I'll say for now, the majority of people come in because of the of, of you know of the 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 tournaments and the esport component. 
Where did you find financing to do something like that the first time? Because one of the things when you're describing is like, we had no track record. We had, we had no, we had no business out there doing this, this sort of thing. Cause I've been in that exact spot with, with trying to do uh, Comic Con sort of events here in the U.S. It's like so hard to get people to talk to us because they're like, well, you've never done anything before. It's like, okay. So how did you do it? How did you, um, how were you able to get, get funding for it? funding i mean uh, there's two parts of it like the first part before we did the big phase out we did a smaller event and for the first event uh, it was my savings from you know 10 word 10 years worth of work it was us doing a lot of small activations during concerts and getting 500 dollars here a thousand dollar here and then a lot of you know a lot of the consoles and equipments were rented and brought by friends so that was how we did our first event and based on that uh, when people so, saw sorry, that it was can, great can, can can I just can I just ask how many how many people went to that first event? Oh, to that first event, we passed the three thousand mark because uh, we did it during. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I, I wouldn't say it was just because of us because we did it during a major event that was happening, which is That's a smart. tourism kind of like a platform where you have a lot of families coming to discover what's out there. So I think that helped us quite a lot because we were already, we already had the traffic. And when they came, everybody was you know, coming to us. And I, I remember that year we actually won the award for innovation <laughs> because at that event, you know, nobody could expect uh, a gaming uh, space and tournament to work that well. And I think that's, you know, that's what got us our first partner, because once we went and spoke, spoke to our first sponsor, we said, OK, look at what we did on our own. If you come with us, we can do bigger and better things. Yes, we're going to get to sponsorship in a minute. Yes, because I've got <laughs> tons of questions there. So, no, it sounds like I didn't mean to interrupt you talking about the, the journey from the smaller events to the bigger events. So how, did you jump immediately to the larger events? Yes. I mean, as soon as we finished the first event for us, we had the big event in mind, but it was like, is it possible? Are we sure that this is going to work? So we did the first event kind of like, you know what, let's do it. We had three weeks. I think we got into the first conversation with them less than a month. And then we're like, you know what, give us a space. We want to do it. We had three and a half weeks. We didn't sleep. We tried and did everything we called i mean i remember like the two nights before it was we were at the office until 5 a.m with the whole team uh so it was just like you know i think it was that energy of like the first time you know you try and then it's like we need to make sure it works because that will define the rest of the journey and i think you know uh, we were very happy because it was not i mean of course there was a lot of small issues technical problems logistics but it was the first time for us so uh, you know and then that's when we started you know as soon as we finished we're like no you know what we're going for the big one i think the first one happened in mar april may and then we did the the first phase in november wow that's like that's like warp speed there i mean, <laughs> I mean in, in the event world i mean that's yes. that that's really amazing that you were able I mean, to I, we were talking to uh, Eniola Adan, Adan, talking about Gamer X, and it, yeah. they're like they they started in September and then they did it <laughs> in in like in the in the spring in uh, you know February March I forget the exact dates but yeah. it's just like it's a matter of months we're here people <laughs> be planning things like that for years um, a whole try. year or years yeah 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 so so what's <laughs> happened with COVID there is it are you able to get back to really big live events these days? 
Um, now it, it's getting back. I mean, now we have concerts and things like that. So we're hoping that this year, the fish that we're going to have this year is going to be bigger and better. Uh, one of the issues that was like one, all the borders were, were closed. So most of the people mm-hmm. that we were getting from other countries could not come in except if they were coming by plane, whereas the plane is very expensive. Um, two, you know, a lot of things were closed and, you know, uh, there was a lot of like uh, limitations to what you could do and families you know weren't all comfortable in in, in going to those uh, kind of events because you know there was a lot of people packed into one room so you know we did we were hit pretty bad uh it's true that you know most businesses in in, in africa in general were open but events and entertainment wasn't you know people's priorities so people yes. were you know were not attending yeah yeah i, I mean it's, it's a lot the same here as far as things were, I mean, in, in person events, we're just not, not done there for, done. for months at a time. And it's just like, okay, I mean, um, you know, but, but now that they're starting to come back in a lot more detail. So I want to talk a little bit about your, um, it, when you, you mentioned gaming and ed tech facilities, mm-hmm. when you're yes. talking about esports venues. And mm-hmm. I don't think we talked to very many people about their first, uh, first um, introduction to, to games that they don't mention the word arcades. I mean, it's just like that's that's that, that anywhere in the world. I mean, yes. that's that's part of the of the history there. History. And so, could you talk a little bit about what it is that you're you're creating there, and what mm-hmm. what what hole did you see that needed to be filled? Mm-hmm. I, I must admit that, like from the get go, I mean, it's probably because of my personal history. Like when I got to the states and I started, you know, I was in university. The first oh, job sorry, that sorry, I did where, was where to were teach. You? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I'll, I'll, I'll not interrupt you any more than I, I really need to. Where did you go to school here in the U.S.? Uh, in New York, New York Tech, New York Institute of Technology. It was right in Manhattan. Yeah. Oh man, that's oh that's great. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you. And, 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 you know, when, when I think, uh, when, when I go back to my own history, when I, st- when I was in school, the first job that I did was tutoring. And I remember that I enjoyed it very much because, I don't know, I, probably because it was fun or it was, you know, something that I liked doing. But it, was, it, it stuck in my mind that education was something cool. And I don't know, maybe in a different life, I would have wanted to be a, a professor or something. So it did stay in my mind somewhere. And, and when I started working, I was always trying to find a way to give back, uh, you know, to the community in terms of education, in terms of schools, in terms of doing something with them. And when I started my own company, I was like, okay, you know what? It needs to be part of the DNA of this company. We need to be able to do something around education. And as we're, you know, started doing the projects, one, two, three, and then eventually we're like, you know what, our, our mandate is to entertain, educate, and empower. And, you know, that's where it all started. And then once we built the gaming center, we're like, you know what, with this gaming center, we can't, you can't just be just come and play and entertain yourself. You need to find a way to give people something that they could take and tomorrow go behind the curtain and start working in this field. And how they're going to come and start working in this field is if they understand it, if they, they, they know how to, you know, to, uh, how to make it work. You know, if you're talking about creating games, then you need to know how to develop a game. Then it means that you need to understand technology. And then how do you understand technology? You need to be trained and you need to be coached for it. So, you know, one thing after the other that's what we're like you know what our gaming center will be you know a big space where people can come and play but we'll have a space dedicated to you know uh, training or having sessions or helping people develop their technical skills 
That's great because so much of uh, esports and gaming, people just think of it as a streamer, as the player. <laughs> and there's Indeed. not as much of a concept of all the jobs that that are that can be included in in esports. And that's one of the things that's really good to hear you talking about. You, you're giving people ideas and, and thoughts and training on other jobs that they can bring to esports. Can you? Is there one particular success story that comes to mind? Mm-hmm. That uh, of someone that, uh, that that came out of your your ed tech um, mm-hmm. program. Um, no, right now I would say most of the people that came through the program were early stage, so people were just discovering it, so they're really feeling happy about it. And you know, like um, let me see if I can think of something particular. There's nothing that comes to my mind that stood out, uh, but I can, I still remember, you know, people's faces. Like, you know how when yep. you, you you go through it and then there's, oh, yeah, those faces I have many in my mind. Good, good. So how many how many people participate in those? In those, we probably passed the 200 mark because we do it small groups and then we did it over time. Yeah, probably more than 200. Ah, oh, that's great. How, how did you fund the, those, those events, those, uh, facilities? Cause one of the things we talked to a lot of people and they're like, you know, they want to create an, uh, an event, um, a venue, an esports mm-hmm. center. And you're mm-hmm. talking about a whole different amount of money than what it is mm-hmm. when you're like doing an, uh, an event, you know, Phaja, mm-hmm. you know, it, that takes a certain amount of money, but boy, just buying the consoles can add up really, really quick. <laughs> so how did you finance that? Um, it was a combination. One, there was um, uh, Abidjan. You have several parts of the city. You have the nice part, uh, you know, where you have the nice suburbs and, and, and stuff like that. And then you have the more populous areas where, you know, most of the time you have people who are not necessarily who do not necessarily have the highest number amount of money. So there's one area like that where there wasn't any shopping center. And uh, there was one person that I know who was working on developing a project around building a shopping center in that area. So a lot of people were like, this is never going to work. How can you, I mean, those people don't have money. How are you going to go and build a shopping center there? But he believed in this project. He run it. And today I can tell you it's a huge success. And as he was working on it, I was like, you know what? Uh, I, I like the project that you're working on. And I think it matches with what we're trying to do because a gaming center today, I mean, a, a shopping center today attracts families, you know, primarily because of the entertainment parts and two, of course, shopping. So, if we join forces, there's definitely something nice that we can do for that neighborhood. And uh, so he believed in the project. So we struck a deal where, you know, they helped us a lot in terms of, you know, uh, securing the location or delaying some of the payments, helping us for some of the constructions. So, you know, that was instrumental in us having it. Uh, but I remember once we opened the center, um, the center is like 1200 square meters. So it's, it's pretty big. And when we started it, I can say that maybe a third of it was full of equipment and the rest of it was filled uh, with time. I remember the first customers that came in, we were sitting on just a regular table. That's when we're cashing in and we had those small boxes that we would open and and, and pull out the the, the hand tickets and give it to them. And I I remember like most of them were coming like, that's it, but they don't even have a lot of the games. They don't have a lot of games, and you know, fast forward three years from now, you know, the, the you know, the, the it's very different. So I think you know, we've we've always gone through those major challenges, and and having people telling us, ah, this is not going to work, and then uh, and then eventually we we figure out how to get it out, get it out, and get it running. So 
I'll one, see, of you know, that, mm-hmm. one of the things you find here is that, um, especially, it's really good to hear you talk about going to these um, commercial real estate people, people who are building shopping areas, because so many of the shopping complexes here in the U.S. are are just closing down. I mean, people mm-hmm. shop online so much. They were certainly trained. Every, we were all trained to shop online during COVID. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so there's just so many store uh, fronts that are open. And so many really smart people are going into these places and saying, hey, give us a space. Mm-hmm. And even if you give it to us for free, it's like, we're going to bring you traffic. We're going to bring you traffic that would never have come to this place without us. And it's like, and, and so they've been really enterprising about doing mm-hmm. that, which I thought um, was really, really smart. I mean, you still have to then put all the equipment in and stuff like that yeah. as, as you were talking about. So mm-hmm. are you going to be doing other events, is, uh, other venues? Is this just a one, pl- are you just going to do uh, it one place? Or are you going we, to be doing we had one, we were working on a second one. Unfortunately with COVID, we had to, uh, we had to cancel it. Uh, so right now we've started new discussions on different neighborhoods around doing the same thing. So we're hoping that one might get signed this year. Uh, but you know, we are still in the works, still in the works. Great. Another thing mm-hmm. I wanted to mention just briefly here is your content creation, because I mean you're talking about. I think you're doing a television show. Yes. So c- could you talk about? I really liked at the beginning when you were describing how Paradise came, how it developed from this to this to this to this, and you you were taking your what you learned from the previous activity into other, other areas is what I was hearing there, and I really like that you're talking about. Okay, we well, you're creating all this content. So why don't you figure out what to do with all this content? Can you describe a little more about what you're doing with content creation there at Paradise Game? Uh, I mean, there's there's a there's a few things and and a few approaches that we had. Like first of all, when we looked at it, we we're like, in order for the gaming and esports, um, I'll say, ecosystem to grow, uh, there needs to be more visibility in terms of what players are out there, what are they doing, what games interest people, how does it work, how is the environment, how is the, you know, how are all the players. So when we looked at that, we were like, uh, internationally, you have a lot of media coverage for those kind of content because they understand that, okay, you know what, gaming has a lot of potential. But here, nobody's focusing on it because it's, eh, it's just too far. They don't, they don't really understand it, believe in it. So like, in order for us to create the future, we need to figure out a way to put it in front of people. So that's how we started the discussion with the TV station saying, you know what, give us some time. We'll do a show where we'll introduce gaming to people. We'll show them the right events. We'll show them who are developing games. We'll show them that you know that behind gaming there's some good to it. People can have, can create jobs, can you know, can change their lives. And we are lucky because you know the the the, the director at the time was really switched on and we're like, you know what? It seems like it's working well in the internationally. My son plays games. Let's try it. Let's see what happens. And that's when we got the opportunity. Uh, so this one was really more, how can we sensitize people? How can we make sure people understand that there is a gaming uh, potential here on the continent and people should should spend more time or, sh- or should have more interest in it? And then as we start, you know, when we started it, we're very happy with the return. And then we're like, okay, you know what? We've done this. This is great for the players, but mostly for the families, the, the, the sponsors, 
Spurs and knows that. But how can we talk to the players themselves? And players, they're interested in what? They're interested in gaming. They're interested in playing. They're interested in tournaments, in competition. So we're like, okay, if we want to be able to talk to them, we need to figure out how to make sure that most of the best events, tournaments, and, and challenges are in front of them. So that's when we got into streaming. Uh, we started doing challenges online, challenges between the best players, the best communities. Now we're doing between the, the, the best countries. Um, like right now on, on Street Fighter, we have a challenge where we have people from Morocco, from you know uh, Algeria, from Cote d'Ivoire, from Gabon. For, you know, And it's like it creates that excitement because one, they can see themselves playing. Two, they can see and, and, and measure themselves between them and some of the people from the neighboring countries. And they could see some quality content online that is relevant because it's, you know, it's, it's African. It's, you know, it looks like them and, and it's, it's, it's showing people that are playing just like them. And I think uh, we are seeing way more traction. Then you would want, for example, uh, I don't know, Evo or some of those big tournaments are, are, are happening where it's like really the, the, the really hardcore guys that are watching it. But most of the rest is like, ah, I'll just wait to see who won. That's it. But they're not watching it. But here they're spending more time, you know, watching that content. And, and, and we're very happy because, you know, initially we had like one views and <laughs> on, on initially those content. And, you know, you had to buy equipment. But, you know, today we're seeing more and more, you know, sometimes you see 100 people, 200 people. But at the same time, it's like, okay, you know what? It's starting to work. One of the things that's always important to remember, and I think you 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 understand it very well, is that esports is entertainment. <laughs> it, it's like because a lot of people think it's it, it's 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 more it, it's it's more related to traditional sport. People, a lot sport, of people, yeah. they kind of put it in that it's a sport, and <laughs> really, it's entertainment because it's on a screen out there. Screen. Indeed. I want to talk a little bit about uh, partnerships, about sponsorships, <laughs> because you were talking about that a little bit earlier. And every single esports um, entrepreneur around the world is like, "How do I find sponsors? How, <laughs> how do, do I, I find uh, sponsors? <laughs> yeah, uh, how do I find that? And you've you've come across some really good ones. There's some like NBA, Visa, Orange. Um, or do you pronounce it Orange? Orange, yeah, indeed. <laughs> it's like because uh, that's telecom, right? Telecom, yeah, it's, the, it's one MT of the biggest MT telecom. And MTV is uh, MTN. Is MTN telecom. is one of the big ones. Yep, one of the biggest telecom. Yeah, I, and I just uh, for those of us who, who aren't as familiar, uh, those, but it, so you've been working with some really really big brands there. Can you describe how you were able to create these partnerships? I think you know. I think luck, uh, luck has always played a lot, a lot in, in in the projects that we did. You know, we're, we're always like throwing the stones and running after it and trying to see whether we could catch it as we we're running. Uh, I think you know the first one, Orange, was pretty much because uh, one when we started doing the event, uh, one of the person that came to the event was from Orange. It looked at it and said, "Oh, that's nice." And I was like, "Yeah, but why don't you guys come on board?" And so I, I mean, I'm not in the marketing department. You know, go talk to the marketing department. So like, you know, we sent out the document to marketing department, told them that it was the best event that they could attend to and they needed to come. And, and I think at the time they were themselves working on something with their group where they were trying to run an event. So I think they, they pretty much called us probably because they were like, they were trying to understand a bit more about what we were doing to see, okay, whether they were going in the right direction for their event. And, you know, we went to the event. So we tell them, you know, everything was locked, everything was done, you know, we were ready to launch and stuff like that, but we had no sponsor. So I think they looked at us and at some point she told me, okay, 
we're going to go for it. Uh, whether we go with you or without you, we're going to do our events. Why should we do it with you? I was like, to be honest, I'll tell you the same thing. We're launching the event in a week. So I think it's an opportunity for you guys to be on board. Um, and I think we both have something to win because we'll both be doing an event or we'll collaborate. I'll add value instead of you guys reinventing the wheel. We could work together. She looked at me and like, all right, let's go. <laughs> but I had no sponsor. Nothing was validated. It was more like we were going to try and do it, but it was probably never going to be the same. What changed so that's why we got the first sponsor. What, what convinced her, do you think? When she said, yes, let's do it. What, what, did, what do you think that she saw? What, what was it that you were able to present to her, to bring it in front of her, that made her feel like, hey, maybe this is worth something here, and let's give it a shot? I think a couple of things. One thing that did work well was the fact that we had already done something. We had a proof because we did that first event where we invested a lot. We had images. We had things we showed. We even had a sponsor. We actually didn't give us money. It was Coca-Cola at the time. Uh, but, you know, uh, we brought Coca-Cola in saying, oh, you know what? We're going to have this event. Why don't you guys join? Oh, we don't have any budget. Oh, no, no, no. Just come in. It's fine. Uh, so we, they came in and we were able to show that oh, Coca-Cola was there. We didn't have to tell them that, okay, Coca-Cola was there but they didn't give us the money. That, but that, that is there. so smart. That is so smart. Yes. <laughs> so I think that was one, you know, showing proof is definitely one key thing that you need to have. And, you know, so at least people can trust that, okay, it's not just words. You can actually deliver on something. I think the second thing was, I think the timing was right. They wanted to do their events around the same time when we wanted to do ours. Uh, we had already planned it. Uh, we seemed to have everything cleared in our mind where they were still trying to figure out, okay, how they could adjust what was done in France to here. Uh, so I think timing was was, was number two in, 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 uh, in it. And I think number three was probably... I don't know, I say passion and, 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 and being able to communicate uh, that fire uh, that we had about like, okay, you know what, this is going to work. It's not just an event that we're going to try and do. We're going to make it and it's going to be successful. I think those are the three things that come to my mind. Do you think when you're talking to, to brands like that, do you think, how much do you have to explain what esports is to them? Do they understand it? Do they understand the, the, the potential, the audience out there? I mean, you know, it, it, we all know that the audience is there, can be there, uh -huh. especially if uh -huh. we have a good sponsor so we can make, make it, make it even bigger. Um, bigger. But do you find that working, especially when you were talking to banks, when you're talking to uh -huh. Visa and people like this, that uh -huh. they're not, they're not the first organization that you might find, you know, in line mm -hmm. to, uh, to be supporting being funding esports. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how do you explain what esports is to these people in an appealing way? Mm -hmm. I, I think for, for most of these companies, I mean, it's, 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 it has evolved a long time. Like when we were starting back in uh, 2017, 2018, we had to do a lot of explaining in terms of, okay, this is what esports is, this is how it is. But now, Fast forward two, three years, most of these companies either have one project around gaming that was done somewhere around the world or two at a group level. They're thinking about a strategy that involves gaming at some points or esports. Uh, so, so I think now it's, it's easier, um, you know, to talk to them about it. You don't have to do too much convincing, but what is hard is to kind of like tell them that, okay, here, 
this is how many people I'm going to be able to bring. This is how many people you guys will be able to connect with and how you're going to be able to interact with. And that's the hardest part because, uh, you know, they do events on a regular basis. They have teams on the ground. So when you're talking to somebody like, let's say, who's overseas and who's actually thinking about the budget, who's already narrow, and you're telling them that they should invest in gaming instead of a big concert, they're like, I'm not sure about this. So I think it's, you have to do a lot of convincing in terms of showing them that, okay, you know what? It is possible to drive traffic on esports and let's try with something small and then eventually we can increase. And that's how it is. And, and a lot of companies, for example, will come in if it's, there's no strings that, I mean, no real investment to do, or if it's something very small, or you can figure out a way to have somebody else pay for it. Yeah, then they would accept to try. And once they try, then eventually you can go and, and, and start and ask for more. One of the things I really like the Coca-Cola story there, that's, that <laughs> is so smart that it's, um, because if you can, you're really just asking them to let you use their name. I mean, it's like, exactly. it's like, exactly. because that just give as people are starting out, which so many people are that we're talking to on here. It's like, that's, um, that's so valuable for you <laughs> as the, you know, putting on the event or, you know, can you talk a little bit about the, the timing involved <laughs> here? Because what always happens is people are like, I need money this weekend. <laughs> and, 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 which is impossible. <laughs> yeah. It's like you, you, you've been there. Um, <laughs> Can you talk about what kind of time frame? Let's say if you wanted th these really big sponsors, how long is it going to take you to like, land one of them? I would say the the good average would be a year because most of the time they do their budgets uh, like three, sometimes five months before the end of the year. So actually, you know, if you're trying to look at sponsorship for uh, October 2023, you have to start negotiating it in August 2022 because they have to include it in their budget so that, you know, you can eventually get a portion of it. Sometimes you can get lucky. Uh, for example, the case that happened with us, you know, with Orange were they had already kind of like figured out the budget that they were going to do for their own. And, you know, we came in at the right time. So eventually I think they just switched and then applied that budget to us. Uh, but this is rare. Most of the companies, you need to make sure that it's inserted in the budget, except if you, you know, uh, you know, you, you want something, you know, really small, then eventually, yes, you can, you can eventually have uh, be lucky and do it within a couple of weeks or months. But most of the time you need a lot of time and it takes a lot of back and forth because, there's a lot of validation involved, you know, when I look at, you know, our part of the world, most of the time it goes all the way to the CEO level of the country because the, the marketing manager may like it, but can't decide the marketing director may like it. But if the budget is high, he needs to make sure that he's, you know, a CEO is involved. And then so it's like, so there's a lot of validation and a lot of people you need to talk to and convince. Uh, so, you know, the best is to, to take a lot of time. I mean, to, to start doing it well in advance. Start looking for sponsors when you don't need them. Indeed. <laughs> rather than when you do. When um, you do. No, that's um, it's really good. What what sort of, let's say if you're an esports entrepreneur and you're out there looking, thinking you, know, you need some money for uh, a mm -hmm. team or a tournament or something like that, mm -hmm. what are some of the best types of industries that, mm -hmm. that are the easiest to approach when it comes to mm -hmm. esports, would you say? 
The telecom industry is known to be, you know, one that is investing a lot in advertising. Who says advertising says, you know, uh, entertainment, which leads to esports. So I'll say telecom will be number one. Uh, FMCGs seem to invest a lot, even though, you know, in the past few years, I don't know if it's because of COVID or just before, they've reduced drastically their budgets. Um, number three will probably be banks because I think there's a major shift here where a lot of the banks are now trying to look at uh, the youth and trying to talk to that, you know, a demographic. Uh, and who says youth today? You know, a majority of them play games, so definitely looking at, you know, doing esports uh, for banks or for financial institution may definitely be a, a a great way to approach it. Even though there hasn't been many examples yet on the continent. Uh, you know, people are trying to figure out how they're going to go and approach it. But I think, you know, this is definitely one key area uh, to look at. You know, I think those will be the three that comes to my mind. Yeah, it's, it's good information. One of the things that I've always thought interesting here in the U.S., the esports, any esports team, it's like someone who's interested in esports in the U.S. is more likely to buy a car than than people who aren't and so they were there were such, such great statistics of going mm -hmm. to the to the auto manufacturers who have huge wow. unending budgets and to the, be Indeed. able to explain to them it's like hey here's an audience that's ready made for for cars Car. and so it's like it's the same kind of concept I, the other thing i really like hearing you talk about is budgets mm -hmm. it's like if you're if you're going to be asking for big money you're, mm -hmm. you're going to be talking to someone that is involved in a budget cycle. We were talking to Luca Tacconi at um, Red Bull South Africa recently. Mm -hmm. and he was talking about their budget process mm -hmm. and so on, mm -hmm. not in a lot of detail, mm -hmm. but just as like, mm -hmm. no, it's like it, it makes a huge difference if you're further, if you're early on in mm -hmm. that process mm -hmm. versus in process. it's like, hey, it's it's already all spoken so for us. Yep. So mm -hmm. now you're doing a uh, prepaid card. Paradise yes. Game prepaid card. Is that yes. right? Can yes. Can you describe a little bit what you're up to there? That sounds really interesting. Okay. I, I think it, it, one of the reasons why we decided to go into financial services was because, I mean, we always try and look at, okay, what are some of the problems and how can we solve some of those problems? And and I think today when we look at um, the gaming ecosystem and the gaming world here on the continent, one of the major, I'll say, uh, stopping or blocking points is people being able to pay for uh, for games. Of course, you have zillions of people who do not, who want everything for free, who do not necessarily want to pay. But you have a big chunk of people who do want to pay for games, but who don't necessarily have a way to do it. Why? Because, um, you know, I'll say, you know, there's a very low percentage of people who have a bank account and even lower and even lower number that have uh, a debit card. Uh, you know, credit cards do not exist here. I mean, um, I'll say maybe 0.001% of like very highly net worth people may have access to credit cards, but it's just non-existent here. Uh, so um, a new thing that has started happening here is like uh, there's one or two companies that, you know, created uh, prepaid cards, whereas you load your card and then you can use it to go and shop. And we're like, oh, you know what? But 
why don't we do something similar for the gamers who want to be able to pay for games online? Today, mobile gaming is just exploding everywhere. It's not just in Africa and the world. I think you know more than fifty percent of the revenues of you know from gaming is is coming from mobile games. And 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 when we look at here, it's it's no different. You know, and and Africa is you know phones here are just ubiquitous. So we definitely see it as the next thing where you know, the, the the big driver for the growth of the industry on the continent. And if we have a card that allows people to pay for games online, then that means that it unlocks the potential for uh, the gaming market. Then that means that any big company who is interested in selling their games to Africa will not look at it as like, ah, oh, but they can't pay for it because they have a Visa card. So they can pay for anything. So no need to customize the way you can have their game. And if you're too small of a market, they don't want to look at you. It's like, oh, you have a Visa card. It's online. Why don't you pay for it? So that's how we looked at it. And we're like, you know what? We think there is something. We, of course, took it you know, a bit further because it's a whole kind of like ecosystem that we're trying to have where when you have the card, you have free access to our gaming center. And there's a lot of advantages with having the card. And you know, we're trying to make it uh, fun, simple, so that's... Uh, you know, it becomes the, 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 a great way to, to, to drive people towards having and, and, and getting on the, on, on, you know, uh, on the financial service network. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, uh, Visa was, 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 was interested in working with us because, you know, we kind of like discussed the fact that there is potential. We know the youth. Let's try and bridge the gap. How do people put, if you have a, a Paradise game prepaid card, is it something that you can reload? Maybe? Yes. And yes, you can you- reload it directly in one of our stores, or you can load it with you know what we call mobile money. So basically, you use your your phone, which has a virtual account, and then the money that you have there, you can use it to transfer it to your card. So you actually have an app for the prepaid card. Indeed, we're launching the app next month. Yeah. So really what the card what the, what the prepaid card is it's an app that people can put money into and then pay for um, there's two parts of it. There's like the actual physical card, which may look like your traditional debit card. The only yes. difference is instead of having a regular bank account behind it, it's just a virtual account that allows you to make transactions on the Visa network. And then you have the, the actually the, the virtual card, which, as you said, is embarked on a mobile app and that you can use as if it was just a regular card, but it's on an app. And we have the two. We have the physical card that we've launched, and now we're launching the virtual one. Do prepaid cards like that, do they make money by taking a, a percentage of of, yes. um, of the amount that's loaded on the card? That's loaded. To cover, Indeed. To cover their costs? Their cost, yes. No, it's, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's this small margin, but the idea is if you get the volume, then it can make a difference. And for us, as trying to build a bridge between Africa and the continent, it's like, you know, you need to have a way to pay for it. Because when you're talking to people about esports, uh, the first thing that they tell you is, okay, but how do I sell my games? I don't just want to, for example, if you talk to game editors, like, okay, of course, um, if I help you in finance and esport tournaments, for you, it makes sense. But why does it make sense to me if I can sell my games there? So that's what led us to thinking, okay, if we want them to look at esports differently, we need to be able to tell them that it is possible to sell the game. And when, since they, it's possible to sell online, once you introduce a card, they can, you know, people can pay for it, then you unlock that problem and then you're telling them, oh, listen, they can pay for it. They have a Visa card now. So let's activate. 
These are the kinds of stories that are so interesting because it's things that people here would never even think of. I mean, it's like, it's just, you know, different parts of the, and it's different in different parts of the world. I mean, it's different in Africa, but it's different in a lot of part, many parts of Asia, you know, I mean, China, China is like a completely different animal when it comes to how people pay for things there. Yes. That is, you know, uh, to just not the way that we do things here. It doesn't mean one way is better or, 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 or it's better in one place than the other. It's just different out there. Different. And Indeed. what I, what I like hearing you talk about though, is you're talking about, mm-hmm. you're saying, well, here's the problem. Here's the bottleneck. Mm-hmm. People couldn't pay for <laughs> things. So mm-hmm. how do we, you know, how do we try to get around that? And that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. So you're saying that mobile games are the future of esports in Africa. Yes. Yes, definitely. One, because it's just so ubiquitous. It's just so easier to have access to. It doesn't cost that much. And, you know, and plus people are, you know, most of the people now, you know, they're playing as they're going to work, as they're going to school. Or it's just so much easier that I think uh, it will become, you know, once you start seeing one of the, you know, most of the big ones, you see Call of Duty that has adapted it to mobile. Uh, you see, you know, PUBG, you see Fortnite, you see, I mean, all of those now EA, um, you know, Konami did it a couple of years ago with their major, their flagship um, e-football soccer. Everybody is now turning towards mobile because they see it as, you know, a great way to have access to the mass market. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something else that you, that we see so different in different parts of the world. I mean, when we Uh were talking to someone, we're talking to someone for Galaxy Racer, we're talking to Mitch Square from Galaxy Racer. And in in Asia, in the Philippines, in Southeast Asia, I mean, everything's everything's mobile. I mean, it's you mobile. just yep. you, you wouldn't consider it um, anything anything different. And then other parts different. of the world, we're talking to someone from Ireland, and they're like, mm-hmm. "Well, no, it's not that you know people play on their phones, <laughs> but it's not not the future the necessarily future, there." Yeah. So, how do you think uh, playing in mobile games is going mm-hmm. to impact Paradise Game? Uh, I mean, for for us, I think you know, um, with this whole idea of 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 facilitating or facilitating or helping gamer uh, enjoying the game or or, or in, enjoying tournaments or events, we see mobile as uh, one allowing more people to play because if you have access to a mobile phone, you have access to internet, then. Uh, the barriers of 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 the words is do not necessarily exist anymore. Uh, you could be great at a at a PC game, but until you, uh, I mean, at a at a console game, but until you can travel to the US to go play at a tournament, nobody will see it. Whereas on the mobile phone, uh, you could be great standing in your house, even if your internet connection is not great, but somebody in the U.S. can see you play and be like, whoa, this is great. So I think it's definitely going to be a key element as part of our strategy. Uh, one, because of the whole app and payment system where you know it, grow, it goes hand in hand with, with, with mobile phones. And two, with the events, it just allows us you know, from one country to be able to do things in, in just so many different countries because because you know we have access to internet and it makes it just easier, and on the barriers are, are, are lower. So for us, it's definitely going to be a big part of our strategy. Is it a barrier there? That is language a barrier in Africa between West Africa and, and uh, yeah. French? Because I, I, I was watching some of your videos out there. You're speaking in French. It's like you know, I could spare. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew enough. To, I could get by, but I would you know, it'd be really really tough to to do it all, all the time. But, um, but how, do you, how does that work when it comes to esports in West Africa versus English-speaking Africa? 
it, it is a barrier because, you know, in, for example, if you look at content creation, like, you know, most yes. of the content we do in French, uh, people in Kenya or elsewhere won't be able to watch it, you know, and unless we figure out a way to have a translation done so that they can listen to it. Uh, so that's definitely a barrier. Uh, but in terms of like the, the tournaments themselves, like once you're able to get people in the same room, they'll figure out a way to talk to each other. As long as they have the game in front of them, it's fine. And it's easier for francophone people uh, because uh, most of the games are in English, especially the older ones, they were in English. So you had to pick up a few words to understand what you were doing in the game. So it's easier for them to try and communicate a little bit, you know, uh, when they interact with the, you know, with, with people who only speak English, but the opposite is, 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 is different. <laughs> yes. It's different. Yeah. One last question we always ask people here is the Olympics. Should the Olympics include esports in their official program? Yes, 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 <laughs> yes, definitely. Why? definitely. I mean, why, why would, why, why do you think that? Several reasons, because I think now that the way the world has evolved, um, you know, the Olympics is not just uh, physical sports. It's like it's, you know, being smart, uh, being strategic uh, and, and knowing how to anticipate, knowing how to work in teams. And, and most of these aspects are included in gaming. Uh, so, you know, when you look at, at, at some, you know, when you look at the future, you're like, um, yes, a lot of people are going to continue growing into sports, but how can you drive an even bigger audience? How can you drive a little bit even more interest with people is by including more strategic thinking, um, you know, uh, elements to it. And I think esports and gaming definitely have that. So, you know, they should be a part of it. One of the things that I think is kind of, sometimes not re not forgotten or not realized is with the Olympics. There's people always think the Olympics is something that happens two weeks, you know, every other, you know, every four, you know, every four years in the summer, but actually there's months and months and there's years of events that led all of those people to the Olympics. And when it comes to, you know, uh, creating jobs, I mean, just think of the number of jobs that will be created if the Olympics starts uh, doing more, official events just for all the, the people who are going to qualify for it. And yeah, there's going to be some yep. people have to figure out who, how the qualification system works, mm -hmm. but works. it still means mm -hmm. that there's going to be an incredible amount of work because the other thing that we were here in the U S we, we get a very strange view of the Olympics because we only see Americans competing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we watched <laughs> tons of it, but it's like, mm -hmm. you know, there's some guy that, at the end of the pool that's from, you know, some of the country, but it's like, you know, we're, we just get this. And, um, I just, I just read, um, a book. I, I lived in Fiji for a couple of years as a Peace Corps volunteer. And I just read the book about the, the coach who coached the Fiji sevens to Olympic gold in Rio in 2016. It's just such an amazing story. Cause you just see what that means on uh, to, to people in places like that. Places. It's, it, yeah. it's amazing. You also mentioned somewhere. I thought you said you had a connection with Stanford. Is that right? 
Uh, yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, I was part of um, of a program that's called Stanford Seed. It's basically a program that they have where they try and identify, you know, entrepreneurs with high potential. Uh, it's like a mini MBA that you do, and they help you and support you. So we've got a lot of help from them. Actually, this summer I have two interns from there, uh, you know, uh, that came in and, and worked on some of our projects. And uh, there's a big network of us, you know, from several countries. We interact with each other. We help each other. So yeah, it's been a you know I've been part of that program for at least like six six years or, or more actually. So the so there are interns that came from the U.S. from Stanford yes. to work with yes. you there. Yes, on wow. gaming <laughs> for the summer. That's no, that's yes. great because I I went to Stanford years and years ago. I mean, before you were born. But, <laughs> it, but my summer experience was I I found this person who was working for USAID in Thailand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who was there at Stanford. I said, can I come work for you for the summer? And she said, yeah, let's make it work. So I I spent a summer in Thailand doing that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so you're Mm -hmm. getting people to go to, um, to Africa. That, that is so good. Yeah. Stanford, (laughs) that's an interesting program there. Yes. Say, I I need to uh, not take your whole night here. I I just really (laughs) appreciate you taking time here to talk about what's going on in, in your world in Africa. And also what's happening at Paradise Games. So where can people find you online? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it's probably the best way to reach reach me. I'm also on Twitter. Uh, those are the two channels. And, and email, of course, is, 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 you know, all those three are, are definitely great ways to get access to me. You just type in Siddiq Bakayoko and they'll, they'll find me. Great. Great. Hey, again, <laughs> thanks for your time. And this is, <laughs> this is the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Talk to you in the next episode. Thank you. (laughs) You've just heard the Gamers Change Lives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed, do so right now so that you can stay up to date with episodes as soon as they're uploaded. And so you can hit the ground running on changing your esports adventure forever. You can also visit us at GamersChangeLivesPodcast.com. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks for listening.